Habakkuk. This is uh, the fifth message. We have two more messages of Habakkuk after this, both in chapter 3. So far in this book, we've seen Habakkuk has, has just really inquired of God. We see the title, How Long, God? How Long? So many of us in our lives at some point, or maybe at a lot of points, you've asked the question, how long? How long is this going to last? How long do I have to go through this? How long do I have to suffer? How long before you answer? How long before this changes? And Habakkuk's asking the same thing to God. How long, God, are you going to let us suffer? As the, the Chaldeans, as the Babylonians are heading towards us, they're going to destroy us. How long is it before you're going to answer us and, and, and actually take us away from this? And then finally, we see Habakkuk receives a response from God, and, and Habakkuk understands that he needs to just be patient. He needs to wait. Just wait. Just relax. Because God's timing is not Habakkuk's timing. Then we see Habakkuk finally saying, you know what? You're right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in the tower and I'm going to watch. I'm going to expect an answer. Not because I'm asking it but because I trust and I have full faith in you, God, that you will answer in due time. Until then, I will watch for you, God, and I will worship you. Again, something very difficult for us to do. When we feel like God is not answering us, we don't want to keep watching. We don't want to keep waiting. We want to microwave it and, and get it done quickly. It's hard to wait sometimes. Finally, the Lord responds, and, and in verse 3, what a tremendous answer. He says in verse 3 of Habakkuk 2, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God's reminding Habakkuk, just be patient. The time... It, it, there's an appointed time, and I will take care of it when the time comes. You know, this revelation that God was giving Habakkuk, it definitely it was being fulfilled. In Habakkuk's time, uh, eventually, the Babylonians would be destroyed. But I think it's much more than that. I, I, I believe God is, is saying much more than, hey, you guys will be taken care of. I think he's pointing to the second coming of Christ. The second coming uh, of, of our Lord and Savior. That's why God says, speaks of the end. Speaks of the end. Hebrews 10, 36-37, interesting, says, For you have need of endurance. That's something we lack, don't we? We lack endurance. Some of us lack endurance for physical activity. And others lack endurance for spiritual. For you have need of endurance, 
so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. That is a great promise to rest on. We just have to wait a little while. Keep our eyes focused on God. Verse 4 reminds us that we are totally, our job is, is totally not to be perfect for God. Try to follow every single rule. That, that's wonderful if you can follow every rule. But too many times we as people, we try to become better than our neighbors. Or we think, you know what, if I'm better than my neighbor, then I'm doing it. But that's not what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says to live by faith. To live by faith. Yeah, you want to worship God holy and uh, with all of your heart and mind and soul. But we can't be perfect. And we can never measure up to God's standards. So we need to live by faith. And those were verses catching us up until today. Today we have verses 5 through 20 that we're going to really dig into. We're going to take them chunk by chunk instead of reading them all at once. We'll start with verse 5. No, we'll actually go back to verse 4. Then we'll, we'll do verse 4 and 5 together. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. We are seeing here that God is reminding us our fellow man is never satisfied in this world. That's our first point. Our fellow man is never satisfied in this world. You see, these verses, they're pointing to two different people. The Chaldeans, or some might say uh, people that aren't following God, and then the chosen people, the people that are considered foreigners in this world, aliens, people who have true faith. You see, our flesh, and not just the people that don't worship God, but also the people that worship God, our flesh desires what is in this world. That's what our flesh desires. It says those who want to satisfy, satisfy the flesh, they're puffed up. They get drunk with wine. They're arrogant. They believe that they're invincible. They're greedy. They want more and more and more. It's interesting. God uses the word death here that death is never satisfied. Did you realize that? That, that death always wants more? 100, 151,600 people are scheduled to die today on average. That's almost two people every second will die. Death is never satisfied. It always wants more. Give me more. The end of verse 5 says, He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. See, the Chaldeans, they were demolishing nations. Just ripping through them. 
and, and, and they would take people and, and treat them as property and toss them to the side like they were nothing. They didn't have any value for human life. But I, I think we need to be reminded as believers, as people who, are, who trust in Jesus Christ, that our spirit is willing to follow the true word. Follow the true God, the Almighty, capital W for word. That's why God is saying that the righteous need to live by faith. That's why he's saying that. The righteous need to live by faith. Because there is an there imminent danger that there is going to be destruction in Judah. That they're going to be taken out. And, and Habakkuk knew this. And you know what? In your lives, you know it too, that there's, that there's danger that lurks all around. We're told that there's perilous times in this world, that we got to be focused on, on listening and talking and obeying Yahweh, as we sang earlier. Hebrews 12, 26 through 29, it's interesting. God says that at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Shaken the earth. Why? Because anything that is not eternal, anything that is not of value, anything that is not uh, of God can be loosened and can be thrown out. It says in verse 28 of, of Hebrews 12, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You and I need to remember that the things of God are absolutely eternal. The things of God are unshakable. And I think we forget that. I forget that. Money, houses, cars, whatever else, all of it will be gone. All of it will be gone someday. You know, I got to thinking when I was reading this of a 1961 Twilight Zone. I, I probably saw it 10 years ago. The title of it was The Rip Van Winkle Caper. Some of you may recognize that there were four men, and, and they stole a million dollars worth of gold bars. They were at Death Valley in California, and they hid in a secret cave. They were, they were led by a, a, a mad scientist, a mastermind. His name was Farwell. And they took these gold bricks and, and they hid them in a, in a hole in this secret cave and they closed the cave up and, and they had four glass boxes there for these four men. This mastermind scientist, he figured out a way to, to put a gas in the, these glass cases and they would fall asleep. And they'd be suspended in their age. And how long would they fall asleep? For 100 years. Because when they woke up, they're going to go now spend their money. Nobody will remember that they stole all the gold. So they did. They went to sleep. hundred years later, they wake up. Three of them got out of the case. Fourth one, a rock had fallen, and, and he had died of old age because the, air, the gas escaped. 
And so these guys are, are talking and they're negotiating. They get, they get their truck out and they're starting to drive, get ready to drive away. And, and the one guy runs over the other man, kill, kills one of the other guys because he wants his gold. And then he loses control of the car, goes over the cliff, so now they don't have a car. They're 28 miles away from the nearest town. So the two men, the mad scientist and this other guy, they take all the gold, and the gold is heavy. It's a million dollars worth of gold in 1961, about $8 million in today's time. And they're going along, and, and, and it's hot, Death Valley, California. And then Farwell, the leader, realizes he left his canteen back at the previous stop. And so he asks the other guy, he goes, hey, can I have a drink? He goes, cost you one gold bar for one swallow. So he takes the drink and gives the gold bar, and that goes on for a while. 24 hours later, it's the next day, and, and now Farwell's about exhausted. And he goes, I need another drink. He goes, the price just went up two gold bars. So Farwell got mad and he killed that man. Smashed him over the head with a gold bar. Farwell starts walking with all the gold and, and he's getting exhausted. Has almost no water left. Starts throwing gold bars off to the side to loosen the weight. Finally gets to his, his final resting point where he just collapses. He has one gold bar left. A man from the future, 2061, drives up. His name's George. And George walks up to him and, and looks at Farwell laying on the ground holding a gar gold bar. And, and, and Farwell says, I will trade this gold bar for a drink and a ride into town. And right then, Farwell took his last breath. See, when George walks back to his car, he's holding on the gold bar. And here's the conversation he had with his wife. Really interesting. She said, what's that? The man said, gold. That's what he said it was. He wanted to give it to me in exchange for a lift into town. Gold? Now what in the world would he be doing with this gold? I don't know. He's probably off his rocker. Anybody walking in the desert this time of day would be off his rocker. Can you imagine that? He offered this to me as if it was really worth something. Then his wife said, you know, wasn't it worth something once, George? I mean, didn't people use gold for money? Sure, about a hundred years or so ago, before they found a way of manufacturing it. Are you kidding me? At that moment, George from the future, what he did, he tossed the gold to the side of the road as they drove off because it was worthless. Absolutely worthless gold. What we do. That, that story, that Twilight Zone is what we do all the time. We value something so much because it's something that we as people have given some sort of value, given some sort of worth in the end. We chase a lot of things in this world. We chase money, we chase fame pleasures of all kinds of things but in the end it's going to be absolutely worthless absolutely worthless it'll be tossed to the side you see the creator of the world he doesn't need our stuff did you realize that god doesn't need our stuff 
You can't exchange it. You don't get to exchange it when all things are said and done. This is where God starts to tell Habakkuk about five woes. Five woes that were given to the Chaldeans. We're going to take them one at a time and move through them somewhat quickly. Woe number one. Plunder and power. Plunder and power. You know, even though God is addressing the Chaldeans here, he's also applying it to Judah. In fact, all of these woes, they're not time-sensitive. They're for us, too. They're for how we are living and, and what we are dealing with in our current lives. We'll start with verse 6, Habakkuk 2. The first woe. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long? and loads himself with pledges, will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations and all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. You see, there had been so many nations that had suffered under the bondage, under the destruction of the Chaldeans, of the Babylonians. They were destroying people's right and left. And you know what? If, if they weren't taking care of them, murdering them, they would either charge them extreme taxes or they would lend them money, lend them something to give them wealth and then charge them extremely high interest rates in order to gain control. Their goal was obviously to have control of these areas for generations to come, even though they didn't understand what God's plan was. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a widow. There's a widow, and recent, before the story, her husband had died, and he had borrowed money. And the creditor come, came looking for the money, and she didn't have it. And because of the interest and the, the loan that was taken, the men were going to take her two kids, her two sons, as payment for the tax, for the interest. It's high interest. That's what, that's what gets you going. It's what happens in today's time with all those payday loan locations. You've seen them all around. They, they want you to get the loan, then they want to have you refinance it. And the average person refinances it seven times for an average APR of 300%. That's in the United States. Oh, by the way, the prophet Elisha, he helps out that widow. You should read it in 2 Kings 4. Add that as a note for later on. Good story. It's interesting to read this first woe, though, that God says, he says, you will reap what you sow. The verse says, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. God's telling Habakkuk that their time would be coming. Don't worry about it. They may, they may have their day today, but they will reap what they sow. Everyone. That's an interesting fact. 
Everyone who is not serving God will reap what they sow. That's the beautiful thing about the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? That if you are in love with Jesus Christ, and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've asked him for your forgiveness, that you don't reap what you sow in the end. Praise Jesus for that. Praise Jesus for that. Woe number two, greed and gain. Starting with verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have fortified your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. One of my favorite birds of all time, favorite animals of all time, is the bald eagle. I think I have a picture of the bald eagle. And there it is. Okay, I love the bald eagle. He's cool. He's fierce, majestic. That's why our country in the late 1700s chose it as our national symbol because of its ability to soar and its ability for freedom. Did you know that the bald eagle, by the way, is only found in North America? I didn't know that until yesterday. Most of the time, eagles come together, a pair of eagles, and get married, we'll call it. And they stay married for life, most of the time. And, and as these eagles get married, they start building a nest. And, and many times they'll build more than one nest. They'll build two or sometimes even three nests to try to figure out where the best nest will be. And it takes them a couple weeks to do and, and because these nests, they're, they're like 10 feet in diameter. Some of the nests have weighed more than two tons. They're just enormous. Enormous. And they'll, they'll be super high in the trees, like, like over 100 feet. And they want to get a a situation, they're going to be within a mile from the water. Almost 100% of the time, every nest that's ever found is, is a mile from a body of water. Because they want to swoop down and, and be able to grab food for themselves and for their little ones. They want to get up in the trees so they're away from other predators. So how do they build it? When mom and dad start building it, they get thorns. They find thorns and sticks that are super sharp, and, and, and sometimes they get branches, and they, they break the branches so they can be sharp, and, and they get sharp rocks. And, and that's how they're building their whole perimeter, which doesn't make sense for a nest. But then these eagles fly down, and they kill little animals. And then they rip off their fur, and they kill other birds and, and pluck their feathers. And they take all of those and they make the nest nice and comfortable for their sweet little eggs. That's what God's saying in Habakkuk is his woe. Many people, they lift themselves up above everybody else. 
And you know what? They will stomp on people, even to the point of killing them, if they could get a leg up, if they could be more comfortable. And that's what people do. That's what the, the Chaldeans were doing. They didn't care. They wanted more, so they were going to set themselves up on high. We just read about what happens when people do this in, in James. Remember we read in James 5, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. There will be reaping what they have sowed eventually. Woe number three. Vehement violence. Vehement violence. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 1994, a country in Africa called Rwanda, which is about the center of Africa, there was a, a genocide happening. Horrible killings were happening. It took the lives of nearly one million Tutsi people. Three out of every four Tutsis were murdered, butchered, killed for no reason. No reason at all. The reason, actually, was the Hutai tribe, or the Hutu tribe. The Hutu tribe, they were jealous. They were jealous at this other tribe because the other tribe had nicer living quarters. The other tribe was, was more in charge in the country. The other tribe they saw was being favored. So in order to deal with that, they went on a mass murder, killing over a million of them. Three out of every four. Why? Because they wanted it for themselves, and they didn't care. Violence, just out of control to gain property. In fact, as you look through, throughout the ages, including the Babylonians, people have waged war to gain riches. That's a primary reason why war is raged. God reminds Habakkuk that this is a useless effort by the people. Absolutely useless effort. God says there will be a day when exploitation, violence, and injustice are no more. It is a day when the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. I think about the verse, For every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's beautiful to think about. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, at some point, you will bow down to the king of kings. This is the, probably the greatest thing in the world about being in the family of God. 
We can understand these woes. We can, we can appreciate them. But we get to rejoice in the fact that the earth's most glorious day is yet to come. It's yet to come. The fourth woe, shameful sins. Shameful sins. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and as will the destruction of beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. God points to some specific sins in this woe. He mentions people getting drunk for the purpose of lust and sexual sins. He also says it leads to violence. When people get drunk, when people get taken over by, by abuse of something, more immorality sneaks its way in. You think about the sins of lust, about drunkenness, violence. All of those things are extremely prevalent in today's TV, video games, movies, social media. All of them are lifted up in some fashion. We become desensitized. <laughs> we become de desensitized to the exact same things that God was going to judge Babylon on. That's crazy. If you look in Daniel 5, we won't go there now, but if you go to Daniel 5, you're going to read an interesting story that the Babylonians were having a, a drunken orgy party that ended up being their demise. God said, done. Revelation 18, 2 through 5, it warns all of us to stay away from the things the Babylonians were doing. Fifth and final woe, false faith. False faith. What profit is an idol? when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. It's about idolatry. This is about idolatry, and, and, and the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, this group of people, they were obsessed with worshiping idols. The Babylonian religion, there was a ritual care uh, of the worship, the statues. Uh, they believed that they were deities, that they were gods, and that these gods, they resided not only in the object, but in whatever um, natural forces that object embodied. In fact, there is one story as they were going into to 
fight against the Assyrians, that they took the statues with them in order to protect them and in order to guide them. I'd say in, in many ways, when you look at this woe, it's the worst of all of them. Because it's replacing the almighty God with something else. Us, this group right here, right away in our minds we go to something wooden or, or a golden calf. Man, we would never worship that. But I think that many of us worship pleasure or wealth, materialism, anything that dominates your life, work, your spouse or another person, your kids. God asked the question here, what profit is an idol? What profit is an idol? If I took this bad boy, look at this truck, beautiful design. If I took this thing and I told you all that you need to bow down to it, that you needed to come up here and lay cash on the floor. And you needed to go home and you needed to go draw images of it so you could remember it. And then come back here later on and worship it and, and sing a song to it. And if you're good, I'll let you even touch it. Okay? I'm crazy, right? I'm off my rocker. But you know what? If I, if I said the exact same thing, because we're Westerners. We don't, we don't worship things like this. But if I said that stop worshiping your job, stop worshiping your money, why is money on your mind constantly? Why is that new car on your mind? Why is, what, why is it that you are constantly and always thinking about that other person? Why are they lifted up? Why are you on your phone so much? There are so many things that we treat as idols. And we'll throw money at it. We may even kiss it. We'll draw pictures of it. We have visions of it, dreams of it. Those are idols, too. Yeah, it's goofy to think about worshiping a little truck. But so many times we, we replace God with something else. I'm talking to myself, friends. We replace God so many times. God responds. He does say, by the way, at the end of this, it's the same. If you're worshiping a, a, a piece of wood or you're worshiping uh, your children or you're worshiping something else other than God, in the end, it's worthless and it will be destroyed. It matters nothing. Worship God alone. God says, let all the earth keep silence before him. This is where he's saying, stop it. Stop. Just stop the idolatry. 
Stop all the running to the next thing to find pleasure or wealth or, or fulfillment, spiritually or otherwise. Stop all the hustle and bustle. Get off your phone. Close your eyes. Get to a quiet place. And just for a moment, just for a moment, as, as Psalm 46 says, say, just be still. Be still and know that I am God. And we don't do that. Again, I'm speaking to myself. We don't do that enough to stop and reflect who God really is. Because we're worried about dealing with our own life. All right, friends. Faith is what we need to stand on. We need to stand on faith. We need to realize that God is always on time, that God is always active. He's always on time and active. I like to say God is rarely early, but he's never late. That's just a saying I like. It may not be theologically right, but God is never late. He's, he's on his own time. God wasn't blind to what the Babylonians were doing. God isn't blind to what your neighbor's been saying to you. God isn't blind to that physical ailment that you have. God isn't blind to your situation that's going on in your life. He knows it. He knows it all. He sees it. And he knows exactly when it will be solved. He knows exactly when it will be fixed. He knows exactly when it will be taken away. Actually, I think we could be confident to say that our troubles will not go away. That doesn't make sense. Why am I saying that? Our troubles will not go away. While we still live in this world, it may never get easier. We're going to constantly be tested. We'll be ridiculed, pointed at, made fun of. We'll have financial troubles or health issues or friendship failures. People will abuse us and use us and leave us and shame us. But the key verse of this entire chapter, the key verse of this entire book, it, it just, it will be highlighted more and more and more as days go on that the righteous shall live by faith. We need to trust in the Almighty. We need to trust in who God is. You and I can have absolute joy because we know that one day, one day our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he will come again. We will be with our Savior. We will live with him for eternity.